Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Hey, let's just pray together then you can take your seats. Let's just pray for the Word of God tonight. It's going to touch every heart every mind. I'm believing that God's going to speak to me and He's going to speak to you through His living Word. God, we love You and we honour You, Lord, and we lift up Your Word, God, above all philosophy and thinking and way above man's thinking is Your Word. And so Father, I pray tonight, God, that You would speak to us, God, through Your Word. Renew our minds, change our hearts and help us, Lord, to surrender afresh to You. In Jesus' Name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab your seats and... uh, I want to talk to you tonight uh, about a story from the Bible. And it's an incredible story about what happens when a person really surrenders to God. So when a person says, hey, I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to surrender to God. Now, hey, God, Your way, not mine. God, Your will, not mine be done. It's incredible what can happen in a life. You know, I, I prayed a prayer 23 years ago as a broken heroin addict in a mental hospital, surrendered my life to Jesus and God's transformed my life. And God is continuing to do that for people right around our planet all the time. And this story is set thousands of years ago and yet it exemplifies, it shows how God can transform a life. You want to hear it? So, so the, the story it revolves around a family. And, and what's happened is that this lady, Naomi, and her husband have been living in Bethlehem and, and they've come into famine. So they've fleed their home and they've gone to a place called Moab. And while they were there, uh, Naomi uh, and her husband were there. Their two sons, they had married Moabite women. And then what happened was over a period of about 10 years was first of all, Naomi's husband died. Then her first son died and then her second son died. And so all that was left were these three women. Now in that time, that was a problem because men provided the income. Without a man, a man in your family, you were destitute. And so they were in a real difficult situation. Naomi goes to her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and uh, Orpah, and she says to them, hey, look, why don't you leave me? Go, you're young enough to find a husband. Hey, why don't you leave me? Go find a husband. Start your life over. There's no future for me, but there's a future for you. And uh, Op- Op- uh, Orpah, Orpah says, yep, and she goes and does that. But Ruth says, hey, no, I'm going to stay with you. Really interesting. Feels this conviction from God. Uh Uh-uh, I'm going with you. And she says, ultimately what she says is, I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to trust your God. So there's this great surrender moment. One says, no, in my own strength, I'm going to go find a life. And the other one says, you know, I'm going to surrender and trust God with my life. So so interesting, so powerful. And so they, they're in this grave situation. They have no one to provide for them. They have no home. They have no provision. It means that their family name will die out, which was a big deal in those times. And listen to what it says, reading from Ruth 1, 14 to 18. At this, they wept again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Wow, wow, what, what an incredible passage of Scripture. That, that when, when, when all hell breaks loose in your life, you have two choices. I'm either going to do it in my strength or I'm going to do it in God's strength. That's the choice. All of humanity ultimately has this choice. And I love that Ruth says, hey, I'm going to choose God. And this is a big deal. You know, and when they made a decision to go back to Bethlehem where they were from, here's what would have happened as they returned home. People would have said, oh, look, they're the ones that left during the famine. Oh, look, she left rich. She's come back poor. People would have said, oh, look, she's got a Moabite with her. Now, the reality is the Jews and the Moabites didn't get on. So there was hatred between those people groups. And so they would have been, there would have been animosity towards her. So they arrive in Bethlehem. And as they arrive, it's harvest time. And it says in Ruth 2.1, it says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Emelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. The first character that gets introduced into this story after Ruth has surrendered her life to God is this man called Boaz. And it says he's a man of standing. He's everything they're not. This is the reality. He's everything they're not. He's, he's a man of standing, of good reputation in the community. They have no standing and a bad reputation. He has great wealth and they have great poverty. He has a successful business and they're really, they're beggars. That's the reality. So whatever the problems that these ladies have, there is a man from Bethlehem with the solution. Come on, there's a man from Bethlehem, it says, with the solution. And, and it goes on to say this, Then Ruth, uh, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and let me pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. Now check this. She surrendered her life to God. Right? She then follows her mother-in-law back to the, house, the land where they came from. And in their poverty, she says, hey, I'm going to go to a field and I'm just going to see if I can pick up the scraps from which they drop. And it says in this line, but as it turned out, it just so happened that out of all the fields she could have gone to, she goes to a field of someone who is influential and is from the same clan of her dead husband. Check it, it's saying this. It's saying that when you surrender your life to God, God instantly start to happen in your life. Come on, when you make a decision to surrender your life to God, things start to happen, not through your own strength or your own power, or your own, but by the supernatural favour and grace of God that begins to pursue you and begins to hunt you down. You know, you know for me, I was in a mental hospital. I'm detoxing from heroin. And, and that night I'd never had before a suicidal kind of ideation, but I had one when I was in that mental hospital. I, I thought about suicide. The next morning I made a social worker who says to me, hey, we're considering you for rehab, we want to talk to you. And she starts interviewing me. She's thinking, and she's thinking, nah, you're not eligible. You're not eligible. You're not eligible. She goes, hey, 
have you had any suicidal thoughts? I say, funny you should mention it. Last night I had one. And I told her about it. She goes, oh, you're eligible straight away because you're at risk and you need to go. Now, I came out of that meeting and the people that ran the mental hospital said, you are such a manipulator. You are not suicidal. And you've made that up to get yourself into rehab. But it was the God's honest truth that I'd had that thought the night before. God works all things together for good for those who are in Christ. Come on. Come on. So I have a suicidal thought. It gets me into rehab. And in the rehab, somebody tells me about Jesus and invites me to church. And I surrender my life to God. So you could say that if I hadn't had the suicidal thought, I probably wouldn't have become a Christian. Come on. God begins to do miraculous miracles in your life. Favour hunts you down and pursues you when you make a decision to surrender your life to God. Hmm. You know, I would go to church as a new believer. I just prayed a prayer, a very simple prayer, asked God to come into my life. I began to go to church. Every week I was like, man, someone has told the pastor what I was thinking about this week. Like literally, it would be like the very thing that I was thinking about would be the sermon topic. And I was thinking, man, this, this is like the Scientology or something. Someone's like spying on me and then telling the pastor. Literally, it felt like that because God incidences were now happening in my life. As I surrendered to God, God's grace and favour began to pursue me, began to move in on my life. And you know, that same grace and favour that was upon me in day one as I became a Christian, the same grace and favour that's going to carry me and Leah into Montreal and in God, what God wants us to do. That's grace and favour. It's nothing to do with our ability, nothing to do with our smartness, nothing to do with any of that. It's to do with, hey, we've surrendered our lives to God. We're not in control anymore. He's running the show, hey? And you know, if it's God's will, it's God's bill, hey? Come on. If it's God's will, it's God's bill, meaning that whatever God calls you to, He's going to bring sufficient provision that you might do it. Emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, financially, we can trust God in our lives. You know, I remember when, um, when before we got married, Leah and I, I was lived in share houses. You know, I just would rent houses and share with other guys and... Uh, we were getting married. I thought, man, I really need to buy a house. But I was working for the church then. I was a kid's leader. I was not on a high salary. And there was no capacity really for me to buy a house. And so I was in the UK at the time. I thought, I'm going to go into the council office. I'm going to put my name on the list for like a, they call it a council house in the UK. But you know, here like a Homes West house, right? So I went in and I queued up for ages. And I got to the desk and she, I told them, hey, I want to put my name down for a council flat. And they just started laughing at me. They said, you're never going to get one. You're like, single, you're 25, you basically, there's just no chance you're ever going to get one. And I said, oh, okay. And then, she, then, the, then the lady next to her said, oh, hang on a minute. She said, hey, I've just read about, there's a scheme that the government's doing called shared equity. It's this new thing where basically you can buy a place and the government will pay a quarter of it. And then basically you can just live there. And then when you leave, you can basically sell it and then you give the quarter back to the government. It's a way to get people to buy buy houses who can't. So I was like, give me the form. Anyway, I filled out the form, applied it, was eligible. And we bought our first apartment because of that. And so God incidences track you down when you make a decision to surrender your life to God. Good things are going to come into your life as you make a decision to trust God. Do you believe it? Come on. Come on. You know that I love it that it talks about how Ruth, she went to the field and she stooped down to pick up the seed that was dropped. There's something in that image of a person who has humility. There's something in that image about a person who's willing to just have a spirit of, hey, I'm here to help. 
you know, who comes to that place saying, hey, I'm in a challenge, but I'm not just going to lay down and do nothing. I'm going to do what I can to help. I'm going to play my part, you know. And over the years, I've seen so many people come into church with that attitude. People come in broken, all kinds of challenges. They come with, hey, how can I help? Hey, can I play my part? Hey, we'd love you to. Would you like to start on the car park? I would love to help on the car park, you know. And you watch their life as they come in with the spirit of, hey, I'm surrendered. I'm just here to help. Not my agenda, not my calling. I'm called to, no, 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 no. Hey, how could I help? How could I help? It's amazing what God can do with that spirit. That in a short time, you'll start to see that person begin to rise in their life and you'll be like, wow, what happened to them? Listen, this is what happens to them. The favour and grace of God pursued them as they surrendered to God. That's what happened. That's what happened. And other people can look around thinking, why are they getting all the good luck? You know, why is all the good stuff happening to them? No, no, it's the grace and favour of God that comes from a surrendered, humble spirit. You know, I don't want to encourage you. You come from a broken background like me. The best thing you can do is surrender and lay down in the house of God. Pastor talks about it's lay down in the house of God. What does he mean? He means come with no agenda, no ideas of what your life's going to be about. Just come and say, hey, God, I'm here. I'm here, I'm here to help, I'm here every service, I'm going to connect group, whatever suggested, I'm going to do it. And you watch that person, within a year down the track, you won't recognise them. But many of us who come from broken backgrounds, we can't do that. We come in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you can't, you can tell an addict something, but you can't tell them a lot. That's what I've found out. You can tell an addict something, but you can't tell them a lot. Come on, come on, anyone who's in recovery in the house, come on, come on. But we need to get to a place where, hey, you can tell me a lot. You can tell me a lot. And that was the spirit that was on Ruth, this spirit. And the reality is this, you know, we, through worship, we raise our hands as Christians. Why are we doing that? Hey, partly, that's the international sign of surrender. If you're at war and you don't want the enemy to kill you when you're defeated, you raise your hands and you come out like this. You come out with your hands raised. You're saying, hey, we surrender to you. You've beaten us, don't kill us, we surrender. So when we as Christians are raising our hands, we're saying, God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm surrendered to you, God. Your will, not mine, be done. At the end of our service, we give people an opportunity, every service, to raise their hand, to pray a very simple prayer to give their life to Jesus. I love that we say raise your hand, because what are we saying? Hey, surrender to God. Hey, surrender to God. All of what God wants to do starts from this place of surrender. In verse four, it says, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They called back to him. Wow, this is out there. So this is the boss comes to work and he shouts, hey, bless you. And all the employees shout back, bless you too. <laughs> wow, Pastor Jeff is a great boss, but we're not even that great. You know, it's like, you know, I bless you. Oh, bless you. you know, it'd be like you going to work, you're saying, bless, bless you too. You know, this, so what does it mean? It means that they were in an environment where people were thinking about others. They were in an environment where they're saying, hey, bless you, no, bless you, you know. I don't think you often find that in life, you know. The boss who wants to bless you, then you want to bless your boss. You know, or the teacher that blesses the student, the student wants to bless the teacher. But that's what it should be like. We should live in an environment, in a place, in a way that actually we love, we serve and we help and then we're blessed in return and we bless and it goes round and round and round. That's what the Kingdom of God's about. That's what the church is about. The house of God is all about that. And this is a beautiful picture of that. Next it says this, Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, whose young, whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, 
Please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the harvesters. She went into the field. She's worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This man of great standing and blessing provides for her provision, food and water, rest, his shelter and protection from the dangers of being in the field. It was not a safe place for a young woman to be in a field amongst harvest in those times. And he provides all those three things, provision, rest and protection. So there's this man of great standing. He's from Bethlehem. He's nothing like them. He has the solution to their life's problems. He's a man of blessing and he provides provision, rest, protection and kindness. Does he sound like anyone to you? (laughs) At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing even as one of your servant girls. Ruth can't believe that she's found favour in this man from Bethlehem. She's a no one and he's an everybody, you know. You know she's a no one, he's a someone. Now, why have I found favour with you? Why are you showing me such grace, you know? But Ruth has found favour in the eyes of this Redeemer from Bethlehem because she chose to trust God and turn her life over to Him. She finds favour because she decided to trust God and turn her life over to Him. Hmm. Man, when I look back and I think I was 25 at the absolute end of the road in my life, but I made a decision to turn my life over, say, God, would you take it? God, would you take it? It's incredible that when you come with that spirit and attitude to God, it's incredible what it'll do with your life. It's just incredible. But so many of us, we just can't surrender to the point of letting God take control. What we do is we like half surrender. So we're like, we're sort of half dead, but we're still partly alive. Like, you know, zombie Christians. I once heard someone preach, you know. It's like, no, 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 no. Really surrender. Just let go. Stop doing it in your own strength and let God do it His way. Because here's the reality. The one who created you, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb knows the perfect way to bless you and for you to have a joy-filled life. He knows way better than you. Way better than you. A life in God is beyond your wildest dreams. Because you can't even envisage ultimately what would make you happy. We think, I know what would make me happy. No, we don't. No, we don't, because so many people get what they think they want and when they get it, they don't want it. You hear it all the time. You hear it all the time. People say, I climbed to the top. When I got there, there was nothing there. You know, 
People always aspire, I wanna be famous, I wanna be rich, I wanna be this, or I wanna be that. And then when we get there, it's found to be empty. Because what we really want, what humanity really wants is God's will for us done. At the meantime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and she had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So he's provided more than enough. More than enough. Get this. She's picking up this grain and she's hoping to get around half a litre. Half a litre of grain would have been enough to feed her and her mother-in-law. That's what she's hoping. A whole day's work, she's just been picking up enough for that. But it says she went home with this, with an amount called an effer. That's 22 litres. <laughs> 22 litres of grain. She wanted half a litre. She would have been happy with half a litre. She got 22 litres. What's this saying? The grace and the favour of God is trying to break into your life and bring to you and I more than we could imagine. Goodness and grace beyond what you can imagine. But we've got to make a decision. Hey, I will lay down. I will surrender that I might get that. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe in her own strength, she could have got half a litre. But in God's grace, she got 22. Come on, come on. Grace means undeserved favour. I love it, undeserved, undeserved. Not earned, undeserved favour. Grace to enjoy your job. Grace to have a great marriage. Grace to raise your kids well. Grace to study well at school or university. Grace to have enough and to have enough to share with others. Come on, come on. God wants to bring good things into your life and my life but it's only dependent on whether we will actually surrender to Him, whether we will allow Him to take charge of our lives. This man from Bethlehem is full of grace. He also, he mixes kind of romance with redemption. Check this. When Boaz asked Ruth to come and share a meal with him, he speaks to her intimately, like, like closely, you know, like, like, a, like a close friend. He wants to save her and bless her, yes, but he wants relationship with her. He wants to really know her. And this is another picture of God. God isn't just interested in bringing good stuff to your life. He isn't just interested in patching you up and repairing you and forgiving your sins. He isn't just interested in that. He wants to know you. He wants you. He's not only interested in what He can do for you, but His his prize is you. God's prize is an, oh, I've got all these testimonies of transformed lives, right? That isn't God's prize. God's prize is that you would know Him that you would walk with Him, that you would love Him, that you would know you're loved by Him. Come on, come on. God wants to heal us, forgive us, set us free, absolutely. But not in a clinical way, in a personal and intimate way. I love it. You know, God's not the psychologist you go to to get your problems fixed. You know what I'm saying? He's the loving, gracious Father. Or if you struggle with that concept, the loving, gracious friend who comes into your life, accepts you just as you are, exactly as you are, doesn't ask you to change anything. And His grace and His mercy comes into your life. You know, when God came into my life, 
I was sitting in a mental hospital with a cigarette in my hand, detoxing from heroin. And God said, you're absolutely perfect as you are. I'll take you just as you are. Come on. Didn't ask me to change anything. Didn't even ask me to put out my cigarette. (laughs) The grace of God, come on, came into my life exactly as I was. And I responded by surrendering to God. And then God changed my life. Man, a lot of people thinking, hey, I'm going to get fixed up first, then I'll go church. I'm going to get my stuff together, you know, then God will be happy. And people come to church all the time and they're spinning a story, trying to make life look a little bit better than it is, you know? No, 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 tell the truth to God. Tell the truth to God's people. We can handle it, God can handle it. We'll take you just as you are. We'll take you just as you are. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is a close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. So there's this man of good standing from Bethlehem. He's nothing like them. He has the solutions for their life. He's a man of blessing and he provides provision, protection and rest. And he shows kindness and grace and he mixes romance with redemption. Come on, come on. This is a picture of the grace and the mercy of God that's knocking upon the door of your and my life. It's not, and all we've got to do is open it up and let him in. <laughs> all we've got to do is open up and let him in. Listen to what it says next. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garden over me since you are a kinsman redeemer and the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kinsman is greater than that which you showed. Your, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Hmm. Wow. 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 Here's what it's saying. That he's saying, you've, you've gone for me, you've trusted me, you've not trusted in other things. What this is about is it's a picture of you and I making a decision ultimately how I'm going to trust in God. I'm, going to tr- I'm not trusting the government. I'm not, you know when it says don't run after younger men, you've come to me. It's saying I'm not chasing after relationships, right? I'm not, chasing, I'm not trusting the government to provide for me. I'm not trusting my intellectual ability to provide for me. Hey, I'm trusting God to provide for me. I'm coming in a way that I'm saying, hey God, would you protect me? Would you be with me? Would you help me? Would you encourage me? Would you be with me? And, and I love it. He's saying, hey, well done. You know, well done. Because so many people get snatched away by going after other things other than God. You know, the Bible talks about the cares of this world, snatching away people from their destiny in God. We need to make a decision. Hey God, I'm gonna trust you. Hey God, I'm gonna go for you. Hey God, I'm gonna surrender to you. And the grace, the favour, the goodness of God's gonna break into our lives. He's gonna take us to a whole new place. You know, a whole new place in Him. You know, He's worthy and yet and He accepts her totally. I just love it. He accepts her totally. The past does not matter. He can restore all she's lost and He can cover all her mistakes. I love it. I love it. To Him, she has beauty and value beyond all things. Come on, come on. Someone, but you know what's interesting is there's always someone that kind of stands in the way of love. You know, like often in a romance story, there's like a third person, you know, someone that tries to get in between. And I want to encourage you, God's chasing after you. 
man, the grace of God is pursuing you. You know, and, and when I say like romance, it's like that, you know that romance is the pursuing, it's the going after, it's the, it's the focused upon, it's the desiring. Well, that's like God with us. But there's one who tries to get in between. There's one who tries to stop that happening. And that one's the devil. The devil is trying, you know, all hardcore to stop you coming into a relationship with God. He's going to try with all kinds of things to distract you, to pull you away, to get you to think more highly than yourself. And all kinds of strategies are going to happen. They're going to try to stop you coming into the destiny of God. And when I look at my life, I see that happened again and again and again. The enemy was always trying to get in the way of me and God. You know, it, it, was, it happened before I was a believer, all kinds of things, you know, and then it happened after I'd become a believer, all kinds of things coming in, you know. I remember I'd been going to church for a little while and I just stopped coming. I just, I don't know, I just drifted away from church. And uh, I had a good pastor, he called me up. He said, where have you been? We've not seen you in church. You can go back to the drugs. <laughs> he, was, he was on my case, you know, and he, he called me and I went back. And you know, I often think, man, if he hadn't called me, I don't think I would have gone back. So if someone hadn't called me at that very point, man, where would I be now? Now I'd had a miracle touch of God, miracle. Broken free of drug addiction. I'm a couple of years down the line now, a couple of years of clean time. My whole life's getting rebuilt. And yet I just drifted off, drifted off from God. But the grace of God came after me. Again, the grace of God came after me again. We need to be careful because there's an enemy and he's trying to stop you and I coming into the miracle provision of God. He's trying to stop you and I coming into the favour of God. He's trying to circumvent that. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Melech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses. It'd be great if the bank had come up. What's happening is that Boaz is stopping anyone else coming in between that relationship. This is a picture of God coming after us and He's saying, hey, I'm going to keep the devil at bay from your life because I'm coming to have a relationship with you. Friend, I want to encourage you. If you make a decision tonight to surrender your life to God, there's a goodness and a grace that's going to come to you and a protection from God. Like you think about, I stopped going to church, someone called me. Hey, who prompted that pastor to call me? Well, that'd be God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when the devil comes to snatch me away, what does God do? He brings somebody to come. He prompts somebody to rescue me. I want to encourage you, if you give your life to God tonight, if you make a decision to surrender your life to Him, yes, He'll heal you, He'll set you free, He'll bring favour and blessing into your life, but also He'll protect you from every scheme of the enemy. And there's some people here, and as soon as I talk about the enemy and I talk about something I have a hold in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's people when you know what it is. You know the way that the devil keeps getting you. You know what it is. You know the way that he keeps coming in and he keeps getting a hold and you keep going back and you go forward, but you go back, you go forward, but you go back. Friends, you need just to surrender to God. Surrender to God and the grace and the mercy of Jesus is gonna come into your life. He's gonna protect you from that. You know, I remember for me, what used to happen for me was I'd get clean off drugs and I'd go okay for a little while. And then I would get this compulsion to use drugs. And when it came on me, nothing could break me out of it. Like my own mum could be standing in front of me, I just would push her out the way. My sister, I'd push them out the way. You know, nothing would stop me once I got that obsession to use drugs. It would, it would literally take over me. But when I made a decision to surrender to God, really surrender to God, 
He broke that. He broke that. Listen, listen. And I had no power. I was powerless outside of God to break that. No power. I'd done counselling. I'd seen psychology. I'd done all kinds of stuff. Nothing could break it. I'd go good for a while, but I'd always go back. But when God came, He protected me. Come on, from the enemy. He protected me from the devil that kept pulling me back. And He set me free. If you'll make a decision tonight to surrender to God, that which holds you will be broken over your life. It will be broken over your life. Why? Because you won't be running in your life anymore. God will be running it. Do you believe it? Come on, let's stand. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.